This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to MLB Extra, the Cleveland Indians edition. I am Allison Footer, and I am here with my buddy Anthony Katravance, who has been uh, pulling double duty uh, for the past few weeks and has been on the Indians beat and answering all kinds of questions from those loyal tribe fans. And Anthony, let's get to it with the um, extension of Carlos Brasco. So that was announced, and I guess that squashes any kind of speculation that the Indians, while rumored to have put a lot of their star players on the block, are actually not in a full-on teardown. Is that correct? That is correct, um, unless this is a NBA-style sign-and-trade. But uh, no, I don't think you have to worry about that. Carlos Carrasco is not going anywhere. Uh, he was already locked up through 2020, and essentially what they did was uh, they had already picked up his 2019 option uh, for $9.75 million. Uh, with this deal, they officially pick up his $10.25 million option for 2020, and then they added $12 million guarantees for both 2021 and 2022, and they even have control over Carrasco for 2023, should they so desire, for $14 million. $3 million buyout on the option, which uh, I was told has does have some sort of vesting um, uh, properties to it. I don't know what those are, but that option could vest. But long and short of it is that Carlos Carrasco is not going anywhere. And it, it kind of fits the theme. It's like a dual pronged theme to this offseason where obviously we've had a lot of conversations um, th- this offseason about what the Indians might do. And a lot of that has revolved around you know potentially trading some dudes and they traded Jan Gomes, their starting catcher, all-star catcher from 2018, and that's a weird look for a contender. But then they follow that up with the Carrasco extension, which I, I think demonstrates what's going on here, which is both the short and long-term are being addressed. The short-term financial picture, where they do, uh, they are trying to shed some money and uh, get some younger, controllable talent on board and uh, trying to uh, you know, be a factor, remain a factor in the American League Central for the foreseeable future. And Carrasco is a big piece of that. So playing musical chairs for a second and the last one standing, um, I mean, Trevor Bauer, Corey Kluber. I mean, it seems like they are going to deal somebody, right? Well, you know, there is that feel when they, again, when they move Gomes, it kind of had that feel where, all right, well, you've got to do something else. Now I've, I've talked to executives from other clubs and the sense they're, even before the Gomes trade was, I, I had a couple tell me like they, they just felt like it's most likely that they'll do a Gomes deal to shed some money because just, just to back things up, their most tradable, uh, their most valuable commodities in areas where they had depth um, going into the winter are starting pitching first and foremost uh, with, with Carrasco, Bauer and Kluber and then catching uh, with Gomes coming off of a strong year and the feel that, you know, they, they could potentially turn to Roberto Perez and Eric house, which is what they're doing. Um, so I had a couple of people tell me that it feels most likely that they would just move Gomes, save a few bucks, uh, apply that money elsewhere, and keep the starting pitching intact because that's uh, you know a signature strength of this ball club. Having said that, 
um, when you do have these conversations, I mean, Bauer and Kluber are extremely valuable. We know that in the trade market, uh, even though it's become a more bullpen-oriented game, um, I, I think that only accentuates the, the value of guys who are true horses, and, and that's what Bauer and Kluber are. Um, so I, I don't put it past them to move one of those guys, uh, maybe even as soon as the winter meetings, just because things are starting to solidify in the starting market. You have Patrick Corbin come off the board, Nathan Avaldi come off the board. Um, there are other uh, options in the trade market. Um, you know, Zach Greinke, um, there was talk of Noah Syndergaard, but I don't, I don't think the Mets are going to move him. I think they made that pretty clear this week. Um, so there's other names out there. James Paxton already was dealt, but uh, Bauer and Kluber are probably one and one a um, whatever order you want to put them in at the top of that trade market. So the Indians uh, are definitely, I'm sure the offers are enticing. It's just a matter of, do they pull the trigger? If they pull the trigger, it would be because two things are happening. One, um, they're, they're saving significant money for 2019 that again, it would be interesting to see how they apply that elsewhere and B they would be applying. Um, I, I think I just went from one to B by the way, sorry about that, but B they would be applying, um, uh, they would be getting major league ready talent. This would not be like uh, even similar to the Gomes trade. You know, the Gomes trade was Gomes for prospects and, and some money relief. This would not be that. This would be, you know, there would be at least one major league piece involved in such a deal. It would be fronted, I would think, by a major league piece. So they would be uh, Robin Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. But there might be value to that because they do have starting pitching depth at the major league level. And, uh, you know, again, if you can help out in other areas, it, it might make sense. So um, now I. And hearing similar to what Bob Nightingale reported last week, which is that they seem more inclined to move Bauer than Kluber. And I get it and I don't get it. You know, I mean, Kluber is under control for another an extra year. Bauer's under control for two seasons, Kluber for three. With Kluber, you have cost certainty um, in that, you know, you know what those years are going to cost you. With Bauer, you don't. Uh, we have a general idea of what he'll make in 2019, but then he has another arbitration year. And, you know, that's all going to be dependent on how he pitches in 2018. That could go as high as $20 million for, for 2020, for all we know. So there's a little uncertainty there. And then we all know that Bauer intends to test the market. So, yeah, I, I get financially, I get the argument for, for moving Bauer um, because you got Kluber locked in. But in pure baseball standpoint, um, I do feel like, you know, Bauer provides more value uh, performance per dollar for 2019 than an aging Kluber. Um, and that's no knock on Kluber. It's just that his salary jumps up to $17 million. You know, Kluber or a Bauer will be making uh, significantly less than that, probably, you know, uh, more around 11 or $12 million. And he's 28 years old versus Kluber being 33. I, I feel like Bauer has figured some things out uh, to be an elite pitcher of this game. And uh, I don't know. It's just my gut tells me that, that Bauer is the more valuable pitcher in 2019. But you know, the financial ramifications, the years of control, all those things are, are factors here. And, and oh, by the way, I mean, Kluber is like a generational pitcher for this franchise. So, I, I, you know, there's there's an emotional tie there that's hard to get overcome. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm hearing that Bauer would be more likely than Kluber if they move either of them, which is, of course, no guarantee. And I was reading through your uh, most recent inbox, and you said that even after the Gomes trade, you're more concerned about Cleveland's outfield than the catching spot, and you're more concerned about the bullpen than the outfield. So clearly, um, you, you know, there are areas that I don't think anybody's really talking about because they're so everyone's so focused on trying to figure out which starting pitcher the Indians are going to trade. But there are, are – um, there's, like you said, there's value to, there's, there are absolutely needs in, in other segments of this team. And so it would seem like, uh, that they would be inclined to probably make a deal, I would think. 
Yeah, so the, the bottom line to all this foot is that they're, they're not as good as the rest of the elite teams in the American League on paper. Now, things happen in October. You know, people surprise you. Things surprise you. Things happen that just aren't expected. Um, but that's that's not something you want to be relying on going in. So the last two years, this team has not been good enough to advance in October. It, it's it's strange. You look back in 2016, they advanced with probably their worst roster on paper because they had the injuries in the rotation. But in a weird way, it made them a better team. It forced them to be really proactive, uh, forced Terry Francona to be really proactive with the way he managed the bullpen. And, uh, you know, some unexpected heroes stepped up and, you know, Rajay Davis hit a huge home run in game seven to, to push that uh, towards extra innings. But um, so it was just that was a great run. Um, and then better teams in, in 2017 and 2018 couldn't get out of the first round. And the 2018 team really ran into a buzzsaw against the Astros and they just had nothing to offer. And now you go into 2019 with a worse roster. I mean, you lost some very key pieces in free agency, Michael Brantley, Andrew Miller, Cody Allen, and you're not getting any better because despite those losses in free agency, uh, you have so many in-house raises and arbitration cases that are pushing the payroll right around where it was at a franchise record level. So something's got to give there. You're, you're paying the same amount of money for a worse team, and that's not going to work out too well. So they're you know, still very much good enough to run away with the American League Central, but we've seen how much that has meant the last couple of years. Not much. You know, not much value to the division title. It's about what you do in October. So they're trying to find a way to make this a, uh, a more sustainable October model, whatever that happens to be. And maybe that, again, maybe that means scaling back in the rotation, which is a weird thought because we know how valuable pitching is in October. But uh, again, if you can rely on some depth there, if you can save some money that can be applied to other holes on the roster, if you can add uh, major league ready, controllable talent that's going to be around for the next four or five, six years, you know, maybe it makes sense. Um, yeah, they definitely need so the catching situation. You know, Jan Gomes had a fantastic year in 2018. I just, I do wonder if he's a regression candidate in 2019. And that's coming from a Jan Gomes fan. But it's just, you know, you see the offensive track record is all over the place. And he's had a lot of injuries in his career. So maybe they kind of sold high on him, sold at a moment where they could move that contract and get a couple young pieces back. And, uh, you know, prior to 2018, the conversation was about how Jan Gomes and Roberto Perez, you know, either of these guys could be the starting catcher. Well, now we're going to find out if Roberto Perez can be the starting catcher outright. Um, but again, as, as you as you alluded to, Foot, I'm, I'm more concerned about the outfield where, you know, right now it would be Jason Kipnis in left field, Leonis Martin in center, um, Tyler Naquin in right field. I mean, this is, uh, this is a, a serious deficiency uh, from an offensive production standpoint. And even from a defensive standpoint, outside of Martin, um, and then yeah, I, the, the bullpen's a little thin for me. And you know, they made that proactive move for uh, Brad Hand mid-season, and I know it was tough to go with Francisco Mejia. It looks all all the more difficult now with Jan Gomes off the roster. But where would that bullpen be without Brad Hand? I mean, he's he's the best thing they've got going in that group. And beyond that, it's pretty dicey. So. Um, if they do make a starting pitching trade to free up some cash, I would think or hope they would apply it, uh, towards the bullpen and, or the outfield again, depending on what you have coming back in such a trade. Yeah. So it sounds like the winter meetings could be pretty busy for the Indians. I was actually just on a podcast with our, our athletics reporter, Jane Lee, and we were kind of laughing about in today's day and age, why, why we're still having everybody gather in one place when deals are normally made over texting. Uh, back in the old days, I'd actually, you know, GMs would get really drunk in the hotel bar and make deals. Um, you don't really need to do that anymore. You can FaceTime, you can text, you can, you know, direct message. 
Um, but I, I guess there's some momentum or some uh, excitement that could be built around the Indians. Maybe they'll be, you know, the kings of the castle with a couple of starting pitchers that they're willing to deal. Uh, we hear a lot about the free agents, but the Indians could uh, pop up in the news quite a bit in Vegas, huh? Yeah, and it's interesting, because this is a traditionally a very quiet team at the winter meetings. It's not a big spender, you know, normally. A couple of years ago, we were starting to see some momentum toward the Edwin Encarnacion deal, but I think even as late as leaving those winter meetings in D.C. that year, there wasn't much serious thought that they were actually going to sign Encarnacion. So generally speaking, this is a quieter team at the winter meetings. But I will say, the last time these meetings were in Vegas, the Indians actually had a pretty active week. Uh, they signed. It was the week they signed. It's not exactly good memories because it didn't turn out so well, but they signed Kerry Wood to be their closer that week. Um, and they made a three-team, 12-player deal. Uh, that was the deal that brought them uh, Joe Smith and Franklin Gutierrez going to Seattle and a lot of moving parts in that deal. And that was kind of a fun one. In fact, I just wrote a big feature about that for MLB.com, um, you know, just to pump up that for a minute. But um, so maybe, again, like the last time it was in Vegas, maybe it's something about Vegas that brings out the action from the Indians. But um, to your point, Foot, about, yeah, I mean, so much gets done, text and email and phone calls and whatnot. And, you know, maybe it, it's much ado about nothing. Some meetings are more active than others. But I do think there's still something to that environment that it, it kind of puts things in hyperdrive. And it's, it's like a microwave, you know, where you'd be uh, a couple of weeks from now. Um, you know, you are in that week because uh, there, there's so many meetings that take place, like literally face-to-face meetings where, you know, agents are going from one room to the next, teams are going from one room to the next, talking to each other. And so it does seem to speed up the process of some of these conversations. And um, so I, I don't put it past them to move a starter. I'm not, I'm not like going to predict they move a starter. I'm not going to predict they don't. Um, I still will say that, you know, a trade of this magnitude is really difficult to pull off, especially if it's directly contender to contender. Um, maybe it has to involve a third team, although that's pretty complicated as well. Um, so I, I'll be genuinely curious to see what they do, if anything, uh, to pull the trigger on a trade involving Kluber or Bauer would be pretty monumental. Um, it, it would take a lot of guts, but I will also say that this front office track record in trades kind of speaks for itself. Chris Anthony's pretty good at this. Uh, you, you go back since he took over as GM and They've won a lot more trades than they lost. So I, I, would, I would have some confidence in him doing the right thing one way or another. Okay. Good stuff. It's nice to know people got stuff done in Vegas because I heard the last time the meetings were there, they said, we're not doing this anymore. Nobody got any work done. But <laughs> count on the Indians to, to just the writers. On the straight and narrow. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Castro. And thanks to everybody for listening to MLB Extras, the Cleveland Indians edition. We'll catch up with you after the winter meetings. 